I wanted to be serious about yoga, I needed to be vegetarian. Yoga is vegan. If there's ever none left in me, that'll be the time to stop, but there's still some there, so I keep going. Hello, I am so excited to be here with Victoria Moran. And I am going to introduce this distinguished guest today as part of Vegan Spirituality Southwest PA's live Facebook featured person and also author of a new book that is available in pre-order called Vegan Voices. Oh, maybe she's not an author. Maybe she's just wrote the introduction. <laughs> We're gonna find out because <laughs> I saw an expression that I wasn't expecting. Okay, so here we go. Victoria Moran is listed among Veg News Magazine's top 10 living vegetarian authors. She is not only living, she is more alive than most and voted PETA's sexiest vegan over 50 in 2016. Victoria has written 13 books, including The Love Powered Diet, Main Street Vegan, which was the first book I knew about when I met her at a NAVS conference a few years ago, more than a few years ago, and the international bestseller, Creating a Charmed Life. Featured twice on Oprah, she hosts the award-winning Main Street Vegan podcast, produced the 2019 documentary, A Prayer for Compassion. And if you haven't seen that yet, it's time to go check it out and is director of Main Street Vegan Academy, training vegan lifestyle coaches and educators. A vegan for 37 years, soak that in, fellow vegan spiritual beauties. 37 years, Victoria lives in New York City with her husband, Reverend William Melton, co-founder of the Compassion Consortium, a vegan ministry and their rescue dog, Forbes, and rescue pigeon, Thunder. And so be aware, if there's some thunder that comes through, you'll know why. Victoria, welcome, welcome. I am so honored to be here with you today. How are you? Uh, thank you for that glowing introduction. I am just fine. And I, I am looking as thunder walks around in here. He, he is a healthy adult male pigeon, and he likes to claim his territory by pecking. So I'm just trying to keep myself uh, out of harm's way. But if he comes nearby, I'll, uh, I'll put him in camera view so everybody can see a real New York City pigeon who, because he's blind in one eye, has to be a companion animal. But we do our best to make him happy. That is, that is so, that's so beautiful. So where do we begin with such a distinguished background that you have? One thing that I'm particularly interested in is yoga, because I myself, who never wanted to label myself as anything, am now called an embodied vision vegan optometrist. And you went vegan for a reason that apparently is different than many. What does your veganism have to do with yoga? 
Well, it's all so connected. And, and that's, I, I'm actually working on a book right now called Age Like a Yogi. So that was why I had the strange look on my face when you gave me the great honor of being the author of Vegan Voices. I am not. Vegan Voices is a wonderful anthology coming from uh, Lantern Books. The editor of that, I think the person who deserves to be called author, is Joanne Kong. I am a contributor and I wrote an essay, interestingly enough. I think it's called Veganism yoga and me, or maybe it's yoga, veganism and me. And I've also written the foreword uh, for, for Vegan Voices, but there are 51 contributors. So I certainly, uh... so I, I didn't guess I didn't hear what I was saying. I, I'm, what I meant to say is you are one of the contributors. I am indeed. and proud, <laughs> proud to be that. So you were asking about yoga and what a beautiful, beautiful way to be in this world. And I feel very grateful that I discovered it early on. I was 17 years old and there were three books about yoga in the Kansas City, Missouri Public Library. And I read all of them over and over again. At that time, as hard as it is to believe, yoga was weird. People kind of confused it with yogurt. They just knew it was weird and foreign. And so for me, as a kid who always thought that everything I had been brought up with was just a little bit too small for me. I loved it. Plus, I was a kid who had never liked physical activity. I was always a reader. I liked thinking and deep conversations and, and heady lectures. So the idea that I could actually bring my body along and that there was this way to be spiritual that included the physical was just so thrilling. And those three books all said that if I wanted to be serious about yoga, I needed to be vegetarian. Now, I had heard of vegetarians because my, my nanny had told me when I was five years old that there were some people who never ate meat. And I just filed that away because I thought it was a fascinating piece of information. And then as I learned what meat was and I loved animals, it was just very confusing. I was like caught up in the system. I didn't know how not to eat them. And yet I knew I shouldn't be eating them. So yoga really took me over the edge into vegetarianism. But yoga wasn't talking about veganism. And I had not heard of veganism. And when I did, I knew just heart wise, that it was right. But I sure didn't think I could ever do it. At that time, again, it seemed extremely extreme. You know, this is not when you had all kinds of non-dairy milk in the supermarket. It just seemed very, very like something that somebody who was more spiritually evolved than me could do. Plus, I was a practicing binge eater. And so I, I would go for my uh, my binge foods late at night at the 7-Eleven, and I would read all the labels, and then I would get to way or egg albumin. And it just seemed hopeless. But I, I did manage to make it to, to veganism after I had dealt with my eating disorder. So by the time I was 33, 1983, I did cross that line and have not regretted it for a minute. So that's really interesting. There are so many people in our culture now that have eating disorders and how you came through that and into veganism is, is a beautiful story. Are you practicing yoga now? Yeah. And that's one of the things that's just really beautiful about it, that it's something that you can undertake that lasts your whole life. So I was 17 when I learned about it. 
18 when I started taking my first yoga classes. I'd moved to London and there were yoga classes there. And interestingly enough, the woman who taught me, Stella Churfus, I lost after I moved back to the States. And it was several years before I went back to England. I looked for her. I couldn't find her. Well, it turns out she was living on the continent. And I did find her a few years ago. She is now 96 years old still teaching a yoga class at a senior center and she lives in a fourth floor walk up so it's it's a great system it's, it's really a, a great way to live your life but anyway i had found the yoga and i've done it off and on my whole life and when i say done it i'm talking about asana practice what most people think of as yoga you know the shoulder stand the head stand the downward dog that kind of thing and of course since i learned about yoga lots of different types of that have, have developed and it used to all be you know slow and you hold the posture and now you've got some that are flow and some that are really fast and there's just all different kinds for for different people but the internal philosophy that has stayed with me when I've been off with the postures or on with the postures. That belief system that's kind of akin to what you'd learn in Buddhism, kind of akin to the perennial philosophy of Aldous Huxley, you just to some of these open-minded spiritual ways of looking at life that have, have come to the fore during my lifetime, yoga has always been at the center of that for me. So during the pandemic, early on, I, I got a, a message that there was a 200-hour yoga teacher training being offered by a beautiful place in Florida, the Ayurveda Health Retreat, and that this would be on Zoom. And I just said, sure, I'm, I'm doing that. And 51 years after I wandered into that first yoga class, I was finally being trained as a yoga teacher, uh, finished that. And then I just wanted more, 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 more. So I've done a lot of training since in Ayurveda and in yoga, got certified in Raja Yoga. I'm working on my 500 hour yoga teacher registration and one of the things that's really cool about that is I'm 71 years old and some people think you're supposed to stop doing things like that. No, you're not supposed to stop doing anything. I just uh, walked past a little club in Harlem this morning when I was walking my dog and there was a quotation from Louis Armstrong on the front and it said, old musicians don't retire. They just stop when there's no more music in them. And I feel like that's what I'm going to do with yoga, with being an author, with working for the animals. If there's ever none left in me, that'll be the time to stop. But there's still some there, so I keep going. I have a sneaking suspicion that that energy is going to go with you wherever you go when you're not in this physical form. So that is so beautiful. And uh, I have some parallel stories, which I won't share completely, but I'll just hint at, which is that I became a somatic movement therapist as I would say an older adult. And also recently within the past five years, got my 500 hour certification in, in, in body yoga, having been involved in yoga and dance for my whole life. And so we are here testifying that this is a beautiful life, right? And so, do you have a sense of what, I'm just, I'm throwing this question out. I like to kind of channel these questions. Do you have a sense of how many people that actually practice yoga 
in a plant-based way? Like, do you have a sense of that? I'm just curious because I don't. You know, I, I don't. And I've actually been doing research on this kind of thing. So I, I could had I had some warning <laughs> looked up for you. How many people do yoga? How many people over 50 do yoga? How much money we spend on it? But I've never found anything about how many vegetarians and how many vegans there are. What I can say is that yoga has been vegetarian as long as it's been yoga. And the vegetarianism recommended is really good vegetarianism. It's none of this kind of sorta vegetarian. It's no meat, no fowl, no fish, and no eggs. And even early on when I was being vegetarian, I still had, had the eggs in there, but a true yogi would not. But for cultural reasons, milk uh, was always allowed uh, in yoga. And I would say even celebrated in Ayurveda. So we've got today in the West, yoga obviously is a, a huge thing. And most of the people that you meet who take yoga at, at a studio and certainly at, at a gym are probably gonna be omnivores. And yet on the other hand, there's also a movement within the yoga community to get yoga to be vegan because we have through yoga, through these Eastern traditions, that beautiful concept of ahimsa, of nonviolence, reverence for life, dynamic harmlessness. And it's just so clear that dairy consumption cannot be part of that. So we have Holly Scotus of Yoga is Vegan and the Yoga is Vegan podcast. The Boho Beautiful People are, are vegan. Anna Forrest, who used to hunt, <laughs> is now vegan. Koya Webb, Sean Korn. So a lot of these really big yoga luminaries. And then, of course, Sharon Gannon and David Life from Jiva Mukti, where, where the veganism is just central to the yoga teaching and, and the yoga philosophy. So it's, it's kind of going both ways, but I just feel like we've got ahimsa on our side. So I think that um, one of these days, like Holly loves to say, yoga is vegan and we're all gonna know that. So, so you were vegetarian first. Were you practicing yoga when you were vegetarian? Oh, yes. And well, here I said I would introduce Thunder. <laughs> so here he is. Thunder. Hello, you... Thunder, thank you for making an appearance. You are a big bird. He is a big bird. He just had his annual physical. <laughs> told he's very, very healthy. One day I was taking a Zoom class uh, with the Integral Yoga Institute of, of New York City. And one of my favorite teachers, Chandra, was teaching. And she said, and now we're going to go into the pigeon pose. And about two thirds into that, Thunder walks across the screen. She kind of <laughs> did a double take and said, I've taught yoga for many, many years and never had this happen. So, okay, Thunder. So what is a rescue pigeon? What does that mean? Well, it means that when Thunder was a little guy, pardon me for being out of the screen for a moment. No worries. He was brought into the Wild Bird Fund here in, in New York City. And at times when they had more birds than they could handle, they would sometimes call my daughter, who at that time had a little wildlife refuge specializing in mammals. But she would take the extra birds uh, for them. So that was how she got thunder. 
and all the other fledglings in that group grew up, flew away, and Thunder didn't fly away. So uh, the vet determined that he is blind in one eye and he can fly, but he can only fly up to a certain level and then he remembers that he can't steer. <laughs> And then he he comes down. So he would not last long on the streets of New York City, but he certainly runs things around here. That's so beautiful. Oh, thank you, Thunder, for making an appearance <laughs> that lightened, uh, lightened things up here. So do you have a way to describe the difference between how you felt when you were a vegetarian yogi or person and then when you moved into veganism? And maybe talk a little bit about what that journey was. Because I know from personal experience, I became vegan in 2012, kind of by fire. I wound up for, you know, who knows why, I wound up at, at the Hippocrates Health Institute from being an omnivore. I, I dove into raw living foodism and that was my first exposure. And I felt a huge difference. And it, it was a big, big shock actually, but it was a great shock. And I stayed there since then. But you, you had the vegetarian bend, you had these sensibilities from a young age, but then at some point you moved from vegetarian to vegan. So what, what did that look like? And, and I'm just, I'm really interested in like kind of the emotional, spiritual aspect. I, I'm sure there were health aspects, you can cover that too, because this will be appearing on the Journey Through Health and Wellness podcast through Anchor.fm, Spotify, it will be on the Reimagine, the Turtle Creek Watershed and Airshed Communities.org website. So we're interested in, in this from all angles. What do you have to tell us about those things? Well, just that it was extremely messy. Mm -hmm. And I know that's not always what a host like yourself <laughs> is looking for, but I think sometimes it's what listeners can appreciate because lots of journeys are messy. So for me, I didn't just wake up in 1983 and say, okay, time to go vegan. I had been attempting to be vegan for almost as long as I'd been vegetarian. So there were all kinds of fits and starts and uh, backs and forths. And it, it, was, it was difficult. And I often gave up on myself and just thought, oh, you're hopeless, you'll never do this. But there were two beautiful people who never gave up on me. And they were Freya Dinshaw and uh, the late Jay Dinshaw, founders of the American Vegan Society. You know what, I told you I would be a bird's lunch. So this is gonna be a little tricky. Sorry, live people, he is going to be pecking at me too much to have a conversation with you. Anyway, Jay and Freya always believed in me and they always treated me like a vegan. And when I fell off the wagon, they never said, oh, you, you have to go sit over there because you are imperfect. It was like, no, we're having this vegan meeting. Come and be part of this vegan meeting. And because they never gave up on me, I had to stop giving up on myself. And then when I did get um, recovery for, for my binge eating in a 12-step program, part of that turning my will and my life over to God was to go vegan. Because even though the world, particularly at that time, was very adamant that veganism was extreme, it was risky, 
And certainly for somebody with a history of, of overeating and overweight, I absolutely should stay away from a diet containing all those carbs. So there was just a lot of fear for, for many years. And what finally happened was I, I was working the 12-step program of Overeaters Anonymous, and I just had a very clear sense that if I did what those people told me to do, and if I stayed close to my higher power, I could eat in the way that my soul was leading me. And that, of course, was vegan. Now, I also thought I'll never lose another pound. I'll, I'll just always have to be an overweight person because of all the carbs and so little protein and all those things that I had been told. But to my delight, over about a year without dieting in any way, but eating three meals a day, because that is what I'd been told to do in my recovery program, I lost all the weight over 60 pounds. And it, it has not returned. And that's been 37 plus years, which I think is, you know, practically a record in the annals of weight loss, because most people do the back and forth. You know, you hear people talk about that and they'll say, oh, a Weight Watchers really worked for me. A Jenny Craig really worked for me. But now I need something else that's going to work again. But in my case, change from the inside out and eating as a vegan has been a one day at a time proposition for low these many years and physically and certainly ethically and spiritually, it's just the best thing ever. Oh, wow. So are you, would you say a typical vegan? What does your day look like in terms of what you eat? We have thunder. We have thunder. This is a major <laughs> announcement here. <laughs> Yeah, thunder is a little bit of a distraction for me. I apologize for that. Well, these days I live very Ayurvedically and I chronicle my vegan Ayurvedic life on Instagram at Victoria Moran author. So I try to follow the Ayurvedic daily routine. And for people who aren't familiar with Ayurveda, it's the health system that grew up alongside yoga. It's considered yoga's sister science. So it's a complete medical system. Uh, certainly in India, you can go to an Ayurvedic doctor who is a psychiatrist, a gerontologist, a pediatrician, a dermatologist, you know, just as you would go to a, a medical doctor here. But in addition to its healing side, it also has a health maintenance side that is largely self-care with lots and lots of suggestions uh, to follow. And one of those is that having a daily routine that is in harmony with the routines of nature puts us in the best possible position to have terrific health. So in Ayurveda, it's said that the day starts the night before, that you want to be in bed, lights out by 10 o'clock, and that ideally you will not have been looking at screens, no phones or laptops or even a TV for the hour prior to going to bed 
And if it's two hours, you get extra credit. So I attempt that <laughs> the night before. And then my alarm is set either for 545 or six. So in yogic teachings, which I'm sure you're aware of, that beautiful time before the sun rises is called Brahma Mahurta. And that is supposed to be the best time for meditation when things are very, very quiet and there's this kind of mystical connection. So yeah, so I, I, I do try to get up early. And then in addition to meditation and a little yoga, some of the Ayurvedic suggestions, a really simple one that can really be helpful to people is to get a little tongue scraper. You can get these at a health food store or an Indian market or some drug stores. They're made of stainless steel or copper or sterling silver. And you just gently scrape your tongue to get rid of the little coating that forms overnight. And in Ayurveda, that's called ama or metabolic debris. And that's just one way to start cleansing and get on with your day. So splash your face with some water and maybe you'll put oil in your ears, in your nose. Maybe you'll do oil pulling. It's a kind of mouthwash with oil because Ayurveda is very big on the healing properties of these, these unctuous substances. Uh, another suggestion is to drink a big cup of hot or warm, either water with a little bit of lemon or lime in it or herbal tea, ginger, licorice, something like that. And you drink that before breakfast, 15 minutes at least before breakfast. And this encourages the body to have a morning bowel movement, which Ayurveda says is extremely important. There's also a recommendation to get some exercise in that morning time, because that's the time when the earth energies are, are best for that. And you get all that done and have breakfast before 8.30. <laughs> so you do have to get up early for some of that. So I strive. And there are times when that alarm rings and it's like, oh no. But Ayurveda says, get up early. Even if you need to rest later in the day, get up when that that energy for getting up is there. So sometimes I cheat. Sometimes I'll put on a little meditation from my insight timer. So somebody will like talk to me and help me get up. But then uh, we get on about the day and a really big thing that Ayurveda is very strong on and which I try to do. And that is to have the main meal in the middle of the day. And if we think back to maybe great grandparents who maybe were on the farm, it was breakfast, dinner and supper. And, and that big meal was in the middle of the day and in our culture as well. So I usually make a kitchari, which is a wonderful Ayurvedic kind of stew that's based on a grain. You can use rice or, or quinoa and a bean, usually split mung dal, split mung beans or uh, red lentils, something of that nature and vegetables. So I get that going in the slow cooker. And then of course it uses lots of Ayurvedic spices because Ayurveda is very, very big on healing spices. So a lot of turmeric, mustard seed, cardamom, cilantro, all those kinds of, of wonderful spices. And then in the afternoon, the energy is really good for creative work. Like in the morning, I think in the morning is being more kind of type A and you'll get out there and you'll change the world. And in the afternoon, it gets a little bit softer. So that's often when I write. And then I try to fit in a second meditation in the late afternoon before a light early supper. 
and uh, dinner hanging out with my husband, which is absolutely wonderful because he's very vegan and uh, very spiritual. And we have terrific conversations. So that's that's my life. And it's very good. What an inspiration you are, Victoria Moran. I am in awe at your realness. I have been accused, we won't mention when, of being an extremist. I know that I have an intensity about me that I've been working towards softening. So when I dove into veganism as a raw living foodist, that's what I was basically pontificating about all the time. I love the way that you show us your humanity, um, not the least of which right now is we're watching Thunder the Pigeon Pure <laughs> Wedding. We're inspiring this person right here doing the interview to refrain at the moment from going to the blanket behind her, the yoga blanket, and moving into pigeon, you know, into the pigeon pose. So thank you for sharing your typical day. You just shared some incredible golden, silver, luminescent nuggets for anybody listening live. Thank you for being here. My husband and daughter who are watching live, if you have any questions for Victoria, Stan, my husband dropped in the comment that Hindus have, quote, vegetarian eggs. And I don't even know what that means. Do you have a comment about that? I don't really know what that means, unless it is that the chickens only eat plant food. <laughs> Not is that sure. what it is? The person who put that in there, my dear husband? <laughs> Perhaps we went to a place called New Vrindaban. Have you heard of New oh, Vrindaban? Yes. We were there recently, actually, on Memorial Day. Um, my husband had had a client that lived there 30 years ago. And for our entire marriage, for the past 30 years, he's been saying, we need to go visit New Vrindaban. Where is it? It is in West Virginia. And it is a town of its own. I highly recommend that at some point you go there to speak your truth because they do have milk there and they know the cows and they got very insulted. And I'm saying this out loud to the public right now when my husband suggested perhaps veganism, the milk there, they put different herbs in it. And I have to admit total transparency. I've been vegan since 2012, but I actually had a tablespoon of the warm milk that they had on the table there because the aroma drew me over. And I'd never had any milk like that directly from a cow that they knew. And so it was like a wrinkle in time. I felt that I was going back in the ages to like some time thousands and thousands of years ago and i had about a tablespoon of the milk and it was a very different thing than any of the milk that i had had in my prior life so that was interesting to me but the idea of connecting veganism and spirituality especially in the area of hinduism and ayurveda is is complicated um, it is complicated. And I think the place that you described is probably uh, a, an International Society of Christia, Krishna Consciousness Farm. Yes. And, and they, they call the milk that they produce ahimsa milk. And I am all for anybody who is trying to live a more authentic, spiritual, holy life. And, and I certainly cannot criticize that. 
But I'm also a pragmatist, and I've spoken with lovely, lovely friends who, who are part of the Krishna movement, some of whom are vegan, by the way. But, um, but those who aren't, it's, a, it's about numbers. It's like if you could theoretically have cows who have calves, they still have to have calves to make milk. That's just biology. And the calf stays with the mother, gets all the milk that the calf needs. If it's a, a male calf, he stays there with the group and grows up and, you know, lives 20 years. And female, same thing. And she'll have her babies and the milk will be shared and she won't go to slaughter. You know, that is all theoretically cool. However, I liken it to those kind of historical museum parks, like you can go there, you can take your school group, and the docent will show up and she will say, this dress that I'm wearing is made from flax that was grown here and then spun and then sewn. And we're going to have cornbread and we made the corn and we dried it and we ground it and we baked it here in this, this fireplace oven. You know, it is theoretically possible but it's not practical. It is not practical. And there's just no way to provide milk from cows in a truly humane manner for all the people who want something to put in their coffee or on their cereal. So with, with all due respect to people who in many ways are way more spiritual than me, I'm just really grateful to see that one can live well and healthfully and with a really clear conscience without taking milk from a cow and a calf. And you speak to a very important point, which is that as we are going through this, what Dr. Salesh Rao would call the uh, vegan 2026 revolution, what others might call the vegan revolution, we need to have offerings that are pragmatic and practical. And you are an expert at that. And I honor that in you. I want to pivot for, for a moment now to ask you about the Compassion Consortium ah. that I think you have founded with your husband. And just tell us about that, because to be honest, uh, until I knew that I was interviewing you, I had never heard of that. And so I apologize, but let us know what is the Compassion Consortium, because in my imagination, people that are watching live or on the replay, and by the way, if you're watching live on Vegan Spirituality Southwest PA, or if you are watching the replay, be sure to pay attention. I lost my train of thought. I was watching Victoria take thunder out of the screen. So maybe one of you who's watching can remind me what it was that I was talking about. So Stan says in the chat here, that eggs that are that Hindus call vegetarian eggs, it just means that they're unfertilized. So that is still an egg. And it is, in my view, I mean, that's not vegan, but I was just talking about how you have founded with your husband, the Compassion Consortium. And just give us a little bit of background on that. And then we're going to move into figuring out where we can find you to follow you and take your courses. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Well, the Compassion Consortium actually has four founders. My husband, William Melton, was ordained just two months ago as an interfaith minister through the One Spirit uh, Interfaith Seminary in New York City. But his dean there, Reverend Sarah Bowen, 
is also vegan. And uh, another of the interfaith ministers, uh, Reverend Erica Allison, also vegan. So we got together as, as kind of a fab four with what was actually my husband's idea to have a, an interfaith, interspiritual, interspecies spiritual center. So this is a spiritual home for people who need one. And it's also a spiritual second home for people who are part of a church, a synagogue, an ashram, a mosque, whatever it is, but their animal sensibilities are just not appreciated there in the way that, that would really nourish their soul. So we meet on the fourth Sunday of every month, 4 p.m. Eastern time, and have a beautiful spiritual celebration that features music and prayer and meditation. We have a special guest whom I interview. We've so far had uh, Bruce Friedrich of the Good Food Institute, Gwenna Hunter, who founded the Facebook group of Vegans for Black Lives Matter. Then we had the great broadcaster, Jane Velez Mitchell of Jane Unchained. And yesterday we had a beautiful, beautiful gentleman, Gopal Patel, who actually is part of the International Society of Krishna Consciousness that we were talking about. He is part of the um, UN Multi-Faith Advisory Council. So we, we look at how the religions of the world and people who are not religious but spiritual see animals and see food choices and see our relationship to the planet we also feature someone in the community and we call that uh, our compassion in action segment and um, most recently we had uh, reverend carol saunders who's a unity minister in wisconsin and who actually has come up with the brilliant idea for the vegan spirituality forum and retreat which is going to be happening at unity village missouri just outside kansas city uh, the first weekend of october uh, coming up so that's something to look at as well wonderful in-person event for for people for whom vegan spirituality is, is close to their heart and then also with the compassion consortium we have a book and film night or perhaps afternoon, uh, depending on, on the guest, but we, we feature a film or a book and bring on the author or, or the filmmaker to discuss that. So there's a lot going on and a lot more will be going on. We're only a few months old, but people who are interested can find more at CompassionConsortium.org. Beautiful. And Victoria Moran, we have two minutes left. So tell us, where can we find you? We did talk about the amazing Vegan Voices uh, book edited by Joanne Kong that is available for pre-order now. There are 50 vegan authors and it's, it's so exciting. The actual launch is going to be on October 10th and I'm honored that I will be the uh, MC for that. That's going to be Ooh. very exciting. So mark your calendars for October 10th from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Um, you can go live in Providence, Rhode Island, or you can be virtual. But Victoria, how do we find you in the next minute? Okay, MainStreetVegan.net. And if somebody, if somebody could drop that in the chat in the Facebook page, MainStreetVegan.net, to find Victoria and other ways. And also, I, I do invite people to Instagram, Victoria Moran Author, because especially if you're interested in Ayurveda, it's a growing daily report 
of um, one person working on being happier, healthier, and more effective. Victoria, thank you so much. I'm all lit up now. I'm full of Ayurveda. I'm full of <laughs> beautiful wisdom from all of the years of your travels. And it was so wonderful. I would love to have you back at some point so we can expand on some other parts of yoga and other, other topics that we didn't have a chance to go through completely. But thank you so very much. And if you're watching this on the replay on Facebook, please ask questions of Victoria. We will be sure that she gets back there to answer them. Follow her on Instagram. Follow her on Main Street Vegan. And all of you have a wonderful, tremendous day. I'm going to say bye-bye and namaste.